Dear sisters in Christ, what a joy it is to be studying Philippians together. I have loved studying this book of the Bible in other seasons of life, and it has spoken to me deeply on many occasions. I know that it will be a rich source of encouragement to all of us in the season we find ourselves in now. In my time with you, I'd like to provide an overview by touching on the context of this letter, a few of its major themes, and some reflection on the opening verse we were assigned for the first week of the study. First, the context. The church at Philippi was founded during the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, after he responded to God's leading through a night vision to go to Macedonia. This is the first primarily Gentile church that Paul plants. We see evidence of this as Paul does not quote the Old Testament at all in this letter. This is also the first church planted on the European continent, as it is located in the northern part of modern-day Greece. The events surrounding the church's birth are found in Acts 16, and our study guide does a great job of leading us through them. But if you don't have this study guide and you find yourself listening to me and following along in Philippians, I do recommend reading Acts 16 to lay a good foundation for your understanding of how this church began. The city of Philippi is a Roman colony that was situated on the major trade and transportation route, the Ignatian Way. This artery linked the city of Rome with its eastern provinces. A large part of the Philippian population was descended from the Roman soldiers who were given land to settle while also maintaining a military presence. The city was proud to maintain a distinctly Roman character in its architecture, government, and culture. When Paul enters Philippi, there is no synagogue to visit as is his usual custom. So Paul discovers a group of God-fearing women gathered to pray. He begins his evangelistic efforts with them. God has led Paul well, as this group is receptive to the gospel and supportive of the apostles' ministry. And then, after a number of dramatic events, when Paul, Timothy, and any other companions who are with them are asked by the government officials to leave, their apostolic efforts are not in vain. They leave behind a fledgling church comprised of the wealthy merchant Lydia and her household, a jailer and his household, and perhaps a slave girl, and two ever else the Lord may have gathered by the time they left. This church of humble beginnings becomes a great encouragement to Paul, his companions, and even other churches who were in need. They supported Paul in his missionary journeys and seemed to be quick to respond generously when financial needs are present. Many commentators have written that this may have been Paul's favorite church. He writes to them with great affection. Paul says he prays for the Philippians with joy and thanksgiving, and he describes them as partners in the grace God has given them, and he even says they are his joy and crown. He doesn't say that about the Corinthians. This letter to the Philippians is not written to solve problems, but as a thank you for the gift he received and as a way to encourage them as they progress in their faith. 
The letter also commends Epaphroditus for his job well done and serves to inoculate the Philippians against the theological issues plaguing other congregations. It's also a plea for them to continue in unity and in their work of the gospel. They're to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Another important aspect of this letter is that Paul writes it from prison. He is even living under the threat of execution. And still, this letter exudes great joy. Joy from the life Paul has in Christ. Joy in serving. Joy in believing. And even joy in suffering. There are also a number of other underlying themes that we will discover during this study that speak deeply to our current context. One is longing for brothers and sisters in Christ. It is easy to imagine how Paul longs for this Philippian church, how he would much rather be visiting this beloved congregation in person rather than writing restrained from prison, restrained in prison. I'm sure he recalls their history in the Lord together how God brought him there to Philippi and opened their hearts to believe the gospel. He remembers all the meals they shared in Lydia's home. He likely has a desire to embrace them in person as he thanks them for the gift that they gave so generously and how God used it to encourage him and to also further kingdom work. But instead, he's in prison and his communication to them is limited to a letter. We can identify with that deep sense of longing to be with our dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to hear the sanctuary filled with song, to make commitments as children are presented for baptism, to proceed forward together to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, for crowded and loud meals in the fellowship hall, We long to be together. We all feel this longing in a unique way. This time of year, I am normally in a remote corner of eastern Honduras, leading a vacation Bible school for the children there. My heart so longs to be with them. But instead, I send video greetings that our Honduran staff can share for me. This longing that Paul has, the longing we have as a church family, the longing I have, all point to the fulfillment of God's kingdom that we yearn for and is still to come. Another theme of Philippians that is vital for our day is that of citizenship. The Philippians were proud of their Roman citizenship and they lived in an important city. But Paul doesn't take any time to commend them for their political identity. Instead, he undergirds his encouragement to them that their citizenship is in heaven. In our nation, it's easy to become entrenched in our allegiance to our political identity. Paul encourages a different approach. He shows the Philippians the value of prioritizing their citizenship in heaven and living as servants of Christ. And this brings me to another theme that undergirds the letter, servanthood. When Paul opens his letter to the Philippians, 
he departs from his usual custom. He often opens his letters with a reference to being an apostle of Christ Jesus. But in this letter, he feels no need to assort, assert his authority or his credentials, but to underscore who he is in Christ. His first line to them is Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos, which can be translated as servant or slave. In the Old Testament, the term servant was a traditional way to describe a righteous believer's relationship with God. In the Gentile and Greek-speaking world, the term would carry a more negative connotation associated with the meaning of slave. Even in full awareness of all the connotations, Paul chooses this word doulos to describe the centrality of Christian life. Interestingly, the word servant only appears one other time in the letter, and that is when Paul is describing what Christ did for us. In Philippians 2, we hear this about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul is submitting himself to Christ, who submitted himself through the incarnation and death on the cross. Paul joyfully pours out his life because Christ emptied himself for us. As Paul communicates with the Philippians, he is adamant that the true freedom and true joy does not come with the accrual of earthly prestige or focus on earthly matters, but in aligning ourselves with the perspective of Christ Jesus. Paul has given complete authority to Christ in every area of his life. His time, his health, his ministry, his travel plans, his sense of accomplishment are all submitted to the Lordship of Christ. But it is evident that this servant lifestyle is the source of Paul's joy and contentment. I think it is quite significant that Paul identifies himself not just as a servant, but a servant of Christ Jesus. With the many churches that needed Paul's attention, it could be enticing to say that he is a servant of the body of Christ or a servant of the Philippians, but this would not be a source of joy. Imperfect humans are burdensome masters. If we are going to serve anyone in the body of Christ well, or anyone whom we long to bring into the body of Christ, we need to put our identity in being servants of Christ Jesus. He is the one who leads well. He is the one who puts a perfect yoke upon us. Jesus is the one who has already borne our burdens. Christ is our righteousness, our encouragement, our source of comfort. It is interesting to me that Paul and Timothy's trouble in Philippi comes through a servant of a different kind. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he is clear that we can only be slaves to Christ or slaves to the evil one. This picture is clear in Acts 16. The girl of Acts 16 with a fortune-telling demonic spirit accurately describes Paul and Timothy. She goes behind them saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. This girl's owners, 
the Greek word is the same as Lord, profit from her demonization. Once Paul casts out the demonic spirit and she can no longer earn a handsome profit, fortune telling for her owners, their trouble begins. Underlying all this conflict with the slave girl's owners is the primary question of who is the rightful Lord and whom shall we serve? This is the heart of the gospel. Christ Jesus is the only rightful Lord and master for any human being. He is the only one worthy of our service and total allegiance. And that brings us to the second line of our assigned verse. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, write to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Paul continues to root his greeting in matters of identity. Just in his greeting, he has used the phrase Christ Jesus twice. This title appears 37 times in this letter alone and 400 times in all of Paul's writings in scripture. This title constitutes a fundamental Christian confession. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised anointed one. And while there are many implications to this title, the most important to Paul is its theological value concerning God and his relationship with every creature through Christ Jesus. As ones who have come to believe that Christ Jesus is fully who he says he is, the church in Philippi has their own identity as saints or holy ones. In both the Old and New Testaments, this phrase is used to describe God's chosen people, those who have been set aside for his redeeming purposes. Both Jew and Gentile alike have become holy through their belonging to Christ. This is Paul's proclamation, and it's living out of this identity as these holy ones of God that shapes most of what Paul will say to them in the remainder of his letter. If they can be confident in who Christ Jesus is and what he has done, and then walk in their identity as his servants and holy ones, their church will flourish and their joy will be great. This was true for the Philippians And it is true for us as well. I pray that the deep joy Paul speaks of would grow in each of us as we spend time studying Philippians. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this record of Paul's letter to the Philippians. That even though he was in prison, Lord, that he had submitted himself to you. And so his joy was great. His joy was great whether he was in person with them, embracing them, eating with them, sharing with them, or even while he wrote to them from prison. And so, Lord, we pray that you would indeed give us this same kind of resilient joy that Paul had, that we would be so rooted in our identity as your servants and as your holy ones, that our joy would spill over into every area of our lives. Lord, we ask for your blessing on our small groups, on our studies, on the meditations of our hearts and of our minds. Lord, that you would give us living insight into this letter 
and how you would apply it to our lives, that we could live it out as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.